Hi, what did you do? How are we? <laughs> I'm Kapana Bokhalani and this is South Ah, a political podcast where we usually discuss what's happening in and around our world politically. But for the next week, we're taking a bit of a different approach and we're calling it Seven Days for Africa. This week, I pretty much do the least talking and have seven amazing people from all over the continent helping us celebrate Africa Month. I hope you'll go with us on this journey as we learn what it means to be African for these young trailblazers. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to South R on your favorite listening platform to make sure that you don't miss an episode. Disclaimer. South R is an independent forum and all views expressed are my own. South R is not to be affiliated with any political bodies mentioned in the show. Any comments mentioned by listeners in response to episodes are the opinions of the listener. With this said, however, no hate speech in this house. That includes sexism, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, or any other ism or phobia you might be unfortunately living with. The listener's discretion is advised. What it do? Welcome back uh, to day three of Seven Days for Africa. I hope that you've been enjoying the series so far and that you've learned something, whether or not you are African. Um, I hope that you are enjoying the series. Now, today we're going to do things a little bit different because I think that what Max speaks about um, sort of links onto what I wanted to speak about and I think that it's better that she starts off the show. So we're joined by the beautiful Makumia, aka Maximum, aka Max Maxicals, or just Max. <laughs> a fourth year LLB student, YouTuber, as well as singer. And she recently released her single called For You. So you better make sure you stream that after listening to South Ah. Um so yeah, let's go. Here's Max. Hi, my name is Makumia Membe, commonly known as Max, and I am an African. I was born in Zambia, but raised in South Africa and Zambia in part. The Republic of Zambia's capital is Lusaka in the province of Lusaka. And although it's listed as having only one official language, which is English, Zambia actually is comprised of 72 tribes, which each have their own dialect or kind of, you know, version of a language. So. Only one official language being English, but technically there's 72. Zambia gained its independence on the 24th of October in 1964, and it became independent of the United Kingdom, and the Prime Minister, who at the time was Kenneth Kaunda, became our inaugural president. The country is not a neighbouring country to South Africa, but it is in the southern part of Africa, and it's just above Zimbabwe. Zambia's currency is the Kwacha, and the Zambian population, as per the last census in 2018, is 17.3 million individuals. 
If your parents immigrated, when did that happen? If they still live in the country, how or when did you move to South Africa? And what were the reasons behind the move? So I grew up with kind of like a split experience where my mom lived here in South Africa with me. And because of his job and other political commitments, my dad stayed in Zambia. So my mom had worked um, a few jobs in South Africa before I was even born. So moving back for her wasn't like really a big deal. And we moved back officially towards the end of 2004, the middle of 2005, when I was quite little. It was my grade one year, so I don't remember much, but um, that's why we moved. And we kind of just moved because it's the classic, you know, immigrant story is where there's better opportunities and, you know, experiences and better education for your children in South Africa than they are in Zambia. So that's kind of the reason behind our move. What does it mean to you to be African? I think for me, being African is more of a mindset than anything. Um, there's a certain African way of doing things and of behaving that it's intrinsic to all of us, whatever country, you know, you find someone from in Africa. I think being African means being full of spirit, being full of fight and tenacity. Africa as a continent and its people have gone through so much and I don't know how if it's like a genetic thing but just it's been passed down the certain level of strength and the certain level of perseverance and this amazing impeccable beauty so I think being African just makes you so multifaceted and multi-talented that's what I think <laughs> Can you speak a language native to your country if you do not experience, if you do not, do you experience judgment from family and friends? And if you can, what languages can you speak? So I like to coin my understanding and speaking of Zambian languages as for emergency situations only. Um, my understanding is definitely way better than my speaking. My speaking is almost none, but I promise you if you were dying, I would be able to say call the police for you in um, a native Zambian language. It's just one of those things where growing up, I was always spoken to in English and I responded in English. So it was like, where was I supposed to learn this language? And I definitely receive a certain level of judgment for it from my family and friends, given the fact that I can speak English very well. And because of the schooling system that I was enrolled in, I can speak Afrikaans really well. And I took it upon myself in my older years to learn Spanish as well. So it's kind of like this thing of why do you speak so many other languages, but you can't even speak your own. So it's definitely a certain level of judgment from the exterior but there's also a level of judgment from within because it does kind of suck sometimes you know when, like when you're with your family and they're having discussions and they speak in the native tongue and you can't always hear anything everything and you have to be like hey guys what did they say what did they say so I judge myself for it as well and I'll try work on it <laughs> any interesting facts about the country um, I don't think I have anything like really interesting about Zambia. I mean, maybe the fact that we've like rebased our currency so many times that it's actually ridiculous now. And I think the most interesting thing for me personally was the whole story about how many tribes we have and how many languages we have and how even though we're so united, we're also so different in so many different ways. So it's really cool to see this kind of harmonious balancing between all these different tribes in this country. What do you miss most when you're not in Zambia or what do you miss most about Zambia? Um, I think for me, it's one of those things is like home is where the heart is and where the people you love are. And um, that's always what I miss most. There's a certain 
atmosphere about Zambia. It's very fun. It's very light. It's very warm. And I miss that a lot. I also miss the food. <laughs> like, I know you can cook Zambian food at home, but it just doesn't slap the same, man. There's a whole lot of snacks. One of my favorite things is called popiko. And it's like this... It's very similar to like jumping jack popcorn in South Africa, but it's just different, man. It just slaps different. So literally every time anyone from my family comes from Zambia, I know it's a little bit illegal, but I'm like, please bring me some Pobigo. <laughs> do you think Zambia has reached its potential? If not, what do you think is holding the country back? If it has, what are the things you want other African countries to learn from Zambia? Um, I definitely do not think Zambia has reached its full potential. It's nowhere near. And I think it's because we still have a very Eurocentric view within ourselves. Um, Zambians still have a mentality of looking to the North and, you know, looking to kind of white people and idolizing them and, you know, trying to just not, I wouldn't even say trying to, but maybe just not accepting that their own worth as black Zambian African people and seeing that intrinsically they have worth for themselves and they needn't compare it or be helped by you know the northern hemisphere. I also think Zambia suffer suffers from the age-old African tale of corruption and greed and poor management of resources so because of all these things it's definitely holding us back and we definitely have not reached our full potential. Do you ever think Africa will be able to function like the European Union does? Do you think this is something to aspire towards or not? Um, I've always been in support of kind of closing Africa's borders. I've always said we should have the United States of Africa and just like shut everyone out because to a certain extent, the rest of the world relies very heavily on Africa for our resources, for our intellectual capacity, for a whole lot of things, you know, and if we had to just kind of become strict about it and say, listen, we're not negotiating with anyone, we're not working unless we work on our terms, they would have no choice but to comply. But there's so many historic factors and things that are so deeply ingrained in Africa and its origin. And if you go back to the history of colonialism, that make doing that so far-fetched and it's very sad that that's the way it is in terms of functioning like the european union i think african leaders have would have to undergo a very big mental shift and kind of understand that it's an awful one and one for all type of thing and really embrace that spirit because i foresee that even if we had to try and implement that it would become a very Egypt versus Algeria and we're better than you and it would be a competition and they wouldn't be harmony. So I think if we could overcome that, then we might be in for a, for a good run. What are some stereotypes about Zambia that aren't true? Um, I think a lot of them just come out of jokes. I mean, I know every time people find out that I'm from Zambia, the age-old Trevor Noah story comes up and they're like, Oh my gosh, is it really illegal to be gay? Did you guys really get your first, like, escalator a couple years ago? So I think it's all just, you know, stereotypes and things and jokes that come from that. Um, but that's the only thing that's not true. I think Zambia's never really been in the like face of like bad criticism i don't think we receive a lot of slack and we're quite a, a quiet nation if you think so 
what's one thing you hope for every young African? I hope that young Africans understand who they are, what they are, and where they come from, and why that makes them so powerful. I think for so long, young African people have just believed that they're not as good as, and they're not good enough, and if I was white, and if I spoke better English, and if I, you know, dressed in this way, or went to the school, or whatever, and it's just like, you don't need all of that to be great, you already are great, just by the fact of your lineage, and the fact that, you know, you've survived a whole lot of things, because an African child goes through way more difficult and trying times obviously everyone's lived experiences you know subjective and not to say that people and children in the north don't have their own struggles and people on other continents don't but african children go through a lot and i would just want them to understand that because they've been able to survive all that that already means that there's something special within them and they should just tap into that never hide never feel subservient never feel less than because you're honestly everything but that i think young africans have to also understand that it is very unfortunate but the world we live in was not built for us and was not built to advance us and you have to keep in mind that you're almost fighting a double fight and that you're fighting the system and you're fighting the way things have been made and built and constructed and then you're also fighting your own personal struggles so it's not going to be hard but it's definitely possible so those are my hopes for every young African I am an African and my name is Makumia Membe So with all of that being said, um, I figured that the best conversation to have today would have to be about how, you know, trading works sort of in Africa and the trading blocks that we have and what the future might hold for us. So a trading block, basically, um, each one has its own goals and objectives, but in essence, they're all aiming to achieve economic prosperity through regional integration. Um, And I think sometimes we think very narrow-mindedly in terms of trade. We could be talking labor and not like in the illegal sense, but like saying, okay, we have doctors, you have this. How about, you know, you move doctors this side and we have, you know, accountants this side. We have a lack of them. We're talking products. Um, So we're talking integration in terms of, not just like food, but we're talking inter- integration, um, being able to travel to work, for example, you know, from one country to the next or whatever the case may be. So training blocks are extremely important. Um, currently, there are six ch- uh, key trade blocks in Africa. The first one being SADC. Um, so if you live in Southern Africa, you'll, you've pretty much heard of this one. It's the uh, Southern African Development Community. Um, to name a few countries, Angola, Botswana, Lesotho, Madagascar, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Tanzania. So a few countries and that's not all. There's a few more. The next one is the Preferential Trade Area for Eastern and Southern African States, PTA. 
which was later replaced by the common market for Eastern and Southern Africa, Comesa, right? Um, and this one also has a few, just to name a few, Burundi, Egypt, Djibouti, Seychelles, Rwanda, Mauritius, Malawi, and so forth. Now, the next one is the East African community, the EAC, uh, Angola, Botswana, Namibia, Seychelles, South Africa, Tanz- Tanzania, um, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and so forth. Um, the next being the South African Customs, Southern African, sorry, Customs Union. So now, this is, yeah. So now, when we're talking about, um, customs unions, or we're talking about trading areas or, um, monetary areas, this has to either do with, um, for example, if we're talking about the common monetary area that is between South Africa, Lesotho, Swaziland and Namibia, meaning that you can go into, you know, Lesotho, you can go into Swaziland and you can use the South African rand. Um, so it's just areas where you're able to trade um, money for, you know, products, but using a common um, currency. Then you have what you call your customs union, which is basically um, a union that allows for, you know, the integration of customs and so if for example you have something if you have customs right um and you have something that you're flying over or that's being shipped over you'll only probably pay customs in one area and that union will spread the income between the countries depending on where the product is going and so forth um the next one is ECOWAS the Economic Community of West African States. And this one is constituted by Burkina Faso, Gambia, Ghana, um, Senegal, Sierra Leone, and a few others. And the Customs and Economic Union of Central Africa, uh, which was later replaced by the Economic Community of Central African States. And of course, the Economic and Monetary Community of Central Africa. So they all have member states um, who, you know, basically contribute to how it's run, um, how much taxes are being paid, all of the little legalities and everything that goes into trade, basically. And the, I think that the biggest reason why people go into trade agreements and so forth is often because you'll have, it's first of all, a geographic thing. So um, you'll have landlocked countries. Landlocked countries can't get, you know, shipping or whatever. And usually shipping is the easiest or the most affordable way to get products into your country. But now you're going to have to sort of transport it from harbors onto a landlocked country. So landlocked countries and countries that have harbors are able to work together in order to make sure that everyone is contributing to infrastructure um, and the ability to make sure that products get to everyone regardless of where you live in the continent right and the second thing is again to now reduce taxes because if you're usually if you're not in you know trade agreements you'll pay really high taxes for things um like trade whereas if you're you know in agreements then you are able to um provide services to your residents um without having really high taxes for different products and their shipping and so forth um and trade activity is basically rooted in supply and demand like i said so and we're not just talking products like food, we're talking the demand for, you know, healthcare professionals, especially now. We see it how um, 
you know we've seen how uh, doctors all the way from cuba have come to south africa and obviously this is tied and linked to the fact that south africa and cuba have had relations since way back when um so having good relations with other countries really does allow for a flow of not just products and services easily but intellectual ability and capabilities technology and helps your country to furthermore grow in a way that is beneficial to both parties um which is really cool because oftentimes we see trade agreements that really are benefiting one party or the one party is more likely to have a long-term better sustainability in that trade agreement but you know we only notice later on when we are like 10 years into the agreement now we're going on to the african continental free trade area agreement now this is said to be the future um and when we look at the female population it is estimated that 50 percent of africa's total population is female um and there's been sort of, you know, conversations on are we involving women enough when it comes to issues of trade? Because at the end of the day, you know, women consume the most. Women have children. Women, you know, take care of households. Um, and so it's very important that we look at how this free trade agreement is being put in place in the first place so it doesn't um you know neglect certain needs in our communities but it aims to create a single continental market for goods and services in member nations of the african union and it is expected to be the largest trade block consolidating a market of about uh, 1.1 to 1.3 billion which is basically the african population uh with a combined gdp of about 3.3 trillion dollars so yeah like this is bound to be really the next thing it is said to be probably one of the things that are going to propel africa to become what we want it to be africa could at least um add 4.5% to that on the back of enhanced trade according to the African Development Bank and in most of the African countries signed up to this agreement the agricultural sector is a primary driver Um, and you know looking at how food scarcity is such a huge problem looking at how you know large parts of Africa are dry um, and there's a lot of concern in terms of droughts and Um, famine and so forth so this could be you know one of the ways that africa secures itself if it does it really well which would be amazing (laughs) ideally if implemented properly it should result in the rise of economic clusters and industrial parks across african countries um and it is expected to generate sixty thousand jobs in its first phase Currently, 80% of those employed in the industrial park are women, which is cool to see. We love to see it. In summary, the key recommendations for government policy that would enhance the um, trade agreement are improving financial support and access to credit to female-owned enterprises in Africa, or just Afri- like SMMEs in general, uh, creating more relevant initiatives, directly targeted at boosting the formal education um and this is something that we spoke about in episode two um literacy rates in africa are sometimes very shocking well most times extremely shocking and that's something that we definitely need to be targeting ensuring that um 
everyone in Africa, including women and children specifically, uh, are included in skills acquisition programs led by governments to equip them with the required tools that enable them to make valuable contributions to trade. Um, fourthly, providing policies that will assist with closing the gender wage gap um, and just wage gaps in general, um, particularly in African industrial parks and fifth ramping up efforts towards increasing the level of participation in decision making roles when we're talking from the youth's perspective and we were talking from females um especially in the public sector as well as policy making so i mean it's it's a lot of things that we need to take into consideration but this could possibly be the future you know it could possibly be a thing of i might not need to ever buy something that says you know made wherever again it could be made in zambia made in the drc made in egypt made in south africa made in botswana and that would be so cool um because it would just speak to how we can effectively function as a continent um and independently so so yeah my sources for today were the au as well as uh hogan lovels i hope i said that correctly and it's just interesting to see what the future may hold. With all of that being said, thank you so much to Max for taking the time to join us today. I think really she sparked a few thoughts um, that really got me thinking quite a bit and how the world high key depends on us and we forget that. Don't do it. Don't forget your worth, friends. Uh, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your favorite listening platform as well as rate and comments. Till the next episode. Bye. Bye.